book of Acts is about the continued spread of the gospel, as Jesus has promised, that the Old Testament prophets promised, that the whole world was going to be blessed through the gospel message. It starts in Jerusalem, and, and now it's going to spread throughout the whole Roman Empire, the whole Mediterranean world. Uh, so this is what the book of Acts is about. It's a history book about the spread of the gospel. And the story we're going to read tonight is pivotal. It's pivotal because it's going to go from Jerusalem now because of persecution. The gospel message is going to begin to spread. And how God uses it to spread the gospel of Jesus from Jerusalem, as I just mentioned, throughout the Mediterranean world all the way to the heart of the Mediterranean world was Rome. So that's the whole book of Acts. It starts in Jerusalem, it starts on a hill, Jesus ascends, the, gospel, the Spirit of God comes down, uh, believers are filled with the Spirit of God, the message starts to spread, but it doesn't get outside of Jerusalem, it's contained, it's, it's quarantined within the, within the city of Jerusalem. And then we see it start to spread as you read through the book of Acts. Tonight's a message or a story about a young man named Stephen who was extremely gifted by God to preach the gospel and make it clear. Extremely gifted young man. He was able to articulate the message of Jesus with profound clarity, opening up the Old Testament scriptures to prove to the Jewish believer, to the Jew, for the Jew of uh, 2,000 years ago, that Jesus is God's Messiah. He was able to start with Abraham, who's the father of faith, He's the father of the whole Jewish nation. He goes through the life of Moses. He goes through the giving of the law. He goes through Solomon building the temple and what it all represents. He also goes to show how Israel never really lived up to its call. To live as a counter nation to all the pagan nations of the ancient world. And to function as the light of the world. They never lived up to that call. When you read the Old Testament scriptures, you see God constantly calling back Israel to fidelity, to, to honor him, constantly pull him out of trouble again and again and again. He chastised them, he pulls them out of trouble. He chastised them, he raises up a king. He chastised them, he raises up a prophet. He also, Stephen, gets to the root of the problem. We're going to read that tonight. And the problem was their heart was never right before God. It was never right. As a nation, they failed, and they failed consistently. And now that they missed the best of God, Jesus is the Messiah, he shows them and he speaks truth in a loving way. Stephen holds nothing back from this nation. He holds nothing back from the people who are listening because he genuinely loves these people. They're his people. He cares for them. He cares for their souls. And because he cares, he speaks the truth. God also gives them supernatural ability, supernatural power, just like the apostles, to heal and so authenticates his message. This all takes place within a very small, if I can use the expression, subdivision of Judaism. There were Hellenistic Jews, what we're going to read tonight were Jews who came from a Greek culture. They spoke Greek. They, they, they lived Greek in a certain sense, but in the heart, they were Jewish. 
They were converted to Judaism. They lived outside of Jerusalem, outside of Judea. They came from other known parts of the world. They didn't speak the Hebrew tongue. They had their own synagogue, and within their own synagogue, they spoke their own language. But it was a Jewish service, to be sure. Hellenist Jews. Originally not from Jerusalem, but other parts of the Roman Empire. They came to Jerusalem. They set up shop. They have their own synagogues there. Either they came there by themselves or through their parents or something else. But we don't want to miss this point because Stephen himself was converted Greek. He was Greek by culture. He's Greek by name. But in heart, he was a Jew, whether he converted himself or whether his parents or he comes from a long line of Greeks that converted to Judaism, we don't know. But this is a a small subdivision. And what we're going to see now is God is raising up somebody to go to a specific people. That's God's grace. We're going to see God's grace reaching out to a people that continually reject God, but God continually reaches out his hand. To show his grace. I'm going to ask Gail to come up. And she's going to read from our text tonight. And then I'll come up and speak. Do you want me to read 6, 8 through 14? We'll go from 16 and then start from 7. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place in the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died... God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and inflict them 400 years But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God. And after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac, 
and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob his father and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt and he died. He and our fathers, and they were carried back to Shechem and laid in a tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor and Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt, until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now, when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now, come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. 
This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven and is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god Rephan, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had sent. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. What can we learn from today's story? How do we take that in? 
Can we possibly speak about Stephen without not reading chapter 7 and understanding what took place on that day? I will bring out four or five different uh, elements to speak about, about Stephen's life that the text shows us that we can use today and get understanding of what took place 2,000 years ago. And the conflict of Christianity, the Messiah, Christ, coming out of Judaism as promised by the prophets, he had to almost fight his way out of his own people to bring grace and salvation to the world. Number one, Stephen's life goes to show the great grace of God towards all people. If we use the Hellenists as just a microcosm of how God works. Stephen himself was a Greek-speaking Jew. He was cultured in Greek. He was a Hellenist. Someone who was in the uh, Jewish in religion, but fully Greek in culture. He could identify with this crowd of people. God didn't raise up someone else to come speak to them. God raised up somebody from within the community. Someone they could trust. Someone who spoke the same language. Someone who, who knew them. This is God's grace. God raised up someone from their own community to speak about Jesus, knew their values, knew their language, knew their customs, and probably personally knew some, if not many, of them who probably went to the same synagogue. God doesn't just send anybody. He raises up somebody from within, which God often does when he's trying to get someone's attention. Not an outsider, but an insider. This is God's grace towards the Hellenists. We can't miss that. And not just that, but God gave him to preach with signs and wonders. He wasn't an acknowledged apostle. He wasn't an apostle, but he moved in the power and the wisdom of the apostles. Again, this is a sign of God's great grace towards the Hellenists. When it says that Stephen did signs and wonders, he just wasn't walking around Jerusalem. He was preaching to the Hellenists. And they were seeing the signs and wonders, just like Jesus did. And they rejected him. It's amazing when we see God's grace reaching out to a people that have continually rejected him. And doing signs and wonders to authenticate the message of his love towards them. He's your Messiah, is what Stephen was saying. This is your Messiah. He's come for you. God didn't give up on them. In chapter 6, verse 8, it says, Stephen was full of grace and of power. His whole demeanor was one of genuine concern for others. Filled with grace. This is a New Testament definition. It's a New Testament word. He wasn't interested in winning the religious war of words. This wasn't like, well, you know, my religion's better than your religion and, you know, this is the way it's done now and, you know, I just want to win the war of words. No, he was passionately pleading for men's souls, brothers, men, fathers of Israel, our father, our father Abraham. He's identifying with them. He's pleading with them. He knows what's at stake. Don't miss this one, he's saying. Jesus is the end of the Old Testament covenant. 
The promise of the new covenant through Ezekiel and through Jeremiah has now come. Don't miss this. There is no other plan in God's purposes. Messiah has finally come. He's pleading. He doesn't mind that he might get stoned to death. He knows he might get stoned to death. He's fully aware he might lose his life that day. But it doesn't stop him because of love. He loved not his life unto death. He loved them, as it says, even while he was being stoned. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He can say that at the end because he had it in the... You don't just get that at the end. He went into it with that certain grace, that certain kindness. The grace showed itself, not just to the end, but patience towards their unbelief. He, we can see that he reasoned almost daily with the Hellenists. And he was patient with their unbelief. He was a man full of grace. He continued to be kind in the face of prolonged hostilities. That's why he's full with grace. Again, he's not trying to win a religious war of words. He kept on going back and going back and reasoning with them from the scriptures. God was real is what he was saying and shouldn't be taken lightly. It's not just about ceremony, he was telling them, which the law of Moses and temple worship became. The the temple and and Moses and the giving of the law, it became rote, it became mechanical, it became cold. It says here in verse 10 that the Hellenists could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit which he was speaking. Stephen's profound wisdom and spirit was both supernatural. He was born of the spirit. He spoke like an Old Testament prophet. He he was bringing an indictment against the Hellenists. You still don't believe Just like your father's before you, you don't believe. But he's also reasonable. It was logical. It was intellectual. He knew the Old Testament scriptures. All chapter 7 is biblical theology. This is the wisdom they could not stand against when he spoke with them and he reasoned from the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of the new covenant. He's a studied man. He thought through the faith. His Old Testament Bible wasn't just there to be read. It was there to know God. The scriptures aren't there to be read. They're there to teach us who God is. Knowledge supports love of God. Biblical knowledge supports our love for God. It's not there to quote scriptures against each other. It's there to draw us closer to God, to obey God, to love God and enjoy God. Stephen knew this. This is the profound wisdom that they they came up against. They, They had no answer to him. Why? Because he spoke concerning their souls and the fulfillment of scripture. This is a man who reflected on all things Jewish. 
But he also saw in the Old Testament the great inconsistencies that followed Israel from generation to generation to generation, even to his own present day. Just like the Old Testament didn't listen to Moses, they didn't listen to the prophets that God sent them, now they don't listen to Christ, the Son of the God. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's, and the virgin shall be with child, and you shall call him Emmanuel, God with us. They wouldn't believe it. He says it in verse 53. You who receive the law as delivered by angels, but what? You did not keep it. He also saw that receiving the law by verbal acknowledgement and outward ceremony, but not keeping it from the heart has always been the problem. It's always the problem in religion. It's amazing how people can go to church all the way back into the Old Testament, go back to synagogue, but yet their heart has no love for God. He sees that they receive it verbally. There's an outward ceremony. But as it says here, they're not keeping it from the heart. He goes on to say in verse 51, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So to you. But this is not his own opinion. This is not Stephen saying, Well, you know something, let me, let me share with you my thoughts. He goes to verse 52 and he says, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. That's the Messiah. Whom you have now betrayed and murdered. See, Stephen was a man filled with biblical understanding. He loved the God of his Bible. Stephen was a man of truth. Not just any truth, but God's truth. And no matter where that truth led, Stephen followed. And for Stephen, that led him right back to his own people, a Hellenist. He had a burning desire for the people he loved. We all do, don't we? Who's the first people we tell when we come to know Christ? My mother thought I flipped my mind. (laughs) She told me and my wife, why are you leaving the religion? I've shared this. Why are you leaving the religion? I said, Mom, you don't even go to church. (laughs) You don't even go to church. And we went at it, and of course, she came to know the Lord. She came to understand that there's more behind temple, there's more behind words, there's more behind Moses, there's more behind baptism, there's more behind it all. There's a living, dynamic, personal relationship with Christ the Messiah. And he he goes right back to his people to show them the truth of what God has done in Jesus. They're still misinformed. And to show them some important things that the law of Moses and the temple were only preparatory. It's all it was. The nation of Israel throughout their whole existence was nothing but preparatory until Messiah would come and bring salvation to the whole world. When Messiah would come, he would bring religion into the heart from out of the temple. He would bring the law from the pages of stone and put it into the heart by the Holy Spirit. That's the new covenant. 
The new covenant under Jeremiah said, I will take the heart of stone and I will replace it with a heart of flesh and I will cause you to obey all I command. This is the one Moses spoke about. I will raise up a prophet after me. Listen to him. It leads us to something else about Stephen. This young boy, he he had to be a young boy. A young man. 6.5 says that he was a man full of faith. Now, I will explain the best I can what that means. Stephen was a young man who grew up in temple, went to temple, always read Moses, but never understood that within the Old Testament there was a promise of this gospel message where all our sins, all our transgressions were going to be forgiven full and free by the sacrifice and coming of Jesus Christ. Now for the first time, Stephen, full of faith, he's, he's fully alive. Temple is not the same. Reading the Bible is not the same anymore. He sees it for what it is. He sees it clearly as the promises of God, something to be consumed by the believer. All of a sudden, it's not about religiosity. It's not about ceremonies. It's not about the temple. It's not about the synagogue. It's not about the reading of Moses. It's about living excitingly and abundantly and spontaneously for Jehovah God. You see, what you don't see sometimes when you understand, just like religion today, you can go to church and you leave church not closer to God, unexcited for God, still thinking about the problems you came in with. You're leaving without any hope any salvation, any joy. Nothing, nothing stimulates you from the inside out. It's always been the problem. Now all of a sudden you got people running all over Jerusalem crying, Jehovah, Yahweh, Jesus, Messiah has come. Their hearts are lifted up. Their joy all over their face. They feel fulfilled for the first time. And that's what's taking place. These men are filled with faith. He has abandoned all hope in law-keeping to make him right with God. He has abandoned all hope in the temple to make him right with God. All his faith goes into God's promise of Messiah that makes him right. The Apostle Paul says it clearly. I have been crucified with Christ It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, that's what changes us from the inside out. Christ who loved me and he gave himself for me. Reading Moses ain't going to change me. Going to church ain't going to change me. Temple is not going to change me. Knowing a priest ain't going to change me. Knowing a nun ain't going to change me. Knowing the rabbi ain't going to change me. Knowing Jesus changes me. That's what's taking place. Stephen is radical. To be filled with faith was to be radically different now. So much so that when they were stoning him, he had the face of an angel. The glory of God. 
To live by faith is a statement that the law as we know it, the Old Testament as we know it, is over. It was only preparatory until Messiah would come as the Lamb of God and take away the sins of the world. Now that he has come, listen, he was being accused of saying Jesus replaces Moses. Jesus replaces the temple. The same lies they said about Jesus, they're now saying about him. You see what they missed, that Jesus doesn't replace. Jesus fulfills it. The temple, how can God who creates the universe live in a temple made by hand, Solomon says. That's what Stephen says over here. You see, he doesn't come to replace Moses. Moses promised that Messiah would come. Jesus is the temple. Jesus is the incarnation of God. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is God. Faith in Jesus brings me close to God. The temple was just an earthly picture, a type and a shadow of the body of Christ. He fulfills its purpose as a meeting place with God. If I want to meet God, I go to Jesus. I am the truth, the life, and the way. No one goes to the Father but through me. I'm the temple of God. I'm the word of God. This is the promise of God made to the whole world when he said to Abraham, In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see, Stephen saw that. Messiah has come. It's for everybody now. It's not just for a subculture within Judaism. It's not just for Judaism. Judaism was just a holding pen of all the promises of God until they would birth the Messiah and then Judaism would bring Messiah to the world. They missed it. They missed it. The Jewish nation on a whole missed this provision in their own scriptures. They became fixated with the minor details about Moses and the minor details about the temple. They were keeping it all for themselves. Moses in the temple. You've got to fight for Moses in the temple. But Moses in the temple is saying, don't fight for me. Share it with the world. They got fixated and they became blind that when Messiah came, they couldn't even see their own Messiah. As John says, he came to his own and his own received him not. They were blinded to the big picture. And in their blindness, they brought false charges and allegations against Stephen, just like they did to Jesus, about overthrowing their Jewish faith, represented in the temple and Moses. So what do you do? You kill him. Stone him. And that's what they did. But Stephen, like Jesus, with his last breath... Ask God, do not hold this sin against them. This is absolutely incredible. This is the kind of love that God gives us for other people. This is the ultimate in turning the other cheek. This is the ultimate in walking an extra mile with somebody. This is going the distance with someone else's unbelief. You, you, you have to get the message to That's why we witness. We witness and share our faith. Not to win the war of words. 
I'm better than you, and I know more than you. And this is not about that. This is Messiah has come to the world. The, the promise to Abraham that the whole world would be blessed through him, all the families of the earth would be blessed, is now here. His name is Jesus Christ. It's the stoning of Stephen by the Pharisee Saul which chapter 8 and 9 start to pick up now when you go home read chapter 8 and 9. We're going to start to slowly see how the gospel message. You can kill the messenger, but you cannot kill the gospel. You can shoot down the messenger, but you can't shoot down the gospel. You can disagree with the message, but it's still going to have power to save and convert. And we're going to see that in chapter 8. Let me just go into some application before we go. Really just one application. This is classic. What, what we've just read is classic. It's been taking place for millennium. True religion comes and the heart gets cold and true religion dies. It's just people go through rote. It's, it's, it's not alive. It, it doesn't change a person. It doesn't change a community. It, it has no life to it whatsoever. Jesus was misunderstood. Stephen was misunderstood. Living faith, when you really get close to God, it's usually misunderstood. Our families misunderstand us. Our friends misunderstand us. They think we lost our rocker. All of a sudden, the same God you believed in for 30 years and I believe in, now I love. You can go, but you can't love. Don't love him. Don't talk about him. Don't read his word. Don't share him with others. Just, just go through the motions. But that's what Stephen was fighting. That's what Jesus fought. Jesus says it this way. You worship me with your mouth, but your heart is far away from me. It's always the same thing. And then when somebody like Stephen comes out of the religious background, when someone like Stephen all of a sudden knows Jesus as Messiah, he's filled with faith, he's filled with grace, he has the power of a changed life to give credence to what he's saying, People think we lost our mind. I was teaching karate many years ago. And I had these two students. They were two brothers. And, and they were good. I, I taught them. They really enjoyed it. Everything was good. The father was a friend of mine. And uh, I overheard the father saying, he's, he's, he's a great guy. I, I think he's wonderful. and he, Just don't go to his church. <laughs> I love that one. He's got, where do you think I became a good guy? I got it from church. I got it from Jesus. True story. But this is what uninformed religious ceremony and ancestral religion will do. When we just come up and we're cultural Christians, cultural, cultural Catholic, cultural Jews, whatever it might be, we come up and we're just doing what everybody else did in the family. And we're just going through. It's like lambs led to the slaughter. We just go through. We don't ask questions. We don't read our Bibles. We're not informed. Stephen was informed. He can see within the scriptures a promise was made to Abraham. It carried through Joseph. It carried into the promised land through Joshua. It carried into David's life. It carried into Solomon's life. And now it carried into his own people. And he can see it clearly. And they didn't like this wisdom because it intimidated them because they knew nothing about their own religion. Isn't it today? 
when people are devoted to religious things and know nothing about their religion, it's a hard, it's hard. But Stephen loved them in spite of. And he continued to go back. And with grace and patience and long-suffering, he continued to pour out his heart to them that Jesus is the Messiah until eventually they got him killed. But understand something. God was faithful not just to Jesus. He was faithful to Stephen. And the very Pharisee that put his thumbs up to stone him, a man named Saul, became the greatest convert and spread of Christianity. See, that's how God works, You never know how God's going to use our persecutions. As you and I live our Christian life out, let people see not just the truth, but the truth in action. We need to be people filled with grace and patience and mercy and kindness and love. We need not to get into religious war of words. We need to teach them from the scriptures to the best of our ability that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is alive, the stone is rolled away, the Holy Spirit, that everybody's always resistance. He's real, and he wants to come into our lives and make the Father and the Son real in us. That is our job. We need to be learned. We need to be more than learned. I'd rather know three verses of scripture, but have a heart that loves people than know the whole Bible and beat everybody up with. We got to love people. I'd rather have a little truth and a lot of love. But if you can supplement love with a greater understanding, that's great too. Father, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you for this story of Stephen, God, a man, a young man with an angelic face who was filled with faith and grace and power, Father God, who had a love for his people to go back and share the message of Christ's love for them, that he died for their sins, Father God, even to the point of having to tell them and bring correction to their ears that you are like your fathers, dead in religion, resisting the Holy Spirit. His hope, Father God, like our hope, is that people would come to know Christ in a personal way and be saved. Not to be stoned, Father. So I pray, Father God, for all of us, that we know the truth that sets us free, Father God, but no matter what, we genuinely love and are concerned for the souls of all people. Open up our ears to understand the scriptures. Let this generation know today, Father God. Let, let America know today. Let our family, our friends, our co-workers know today that Jesus is real. He is God's Messiah. He rose from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of God. He poured out his Holy Spirit. And we are now testimonies. We are testimonies of the power of God. Our changed lives are a testimony that authenticate the gospel message. In Jesus' name I pray.